The scripture reading for this morning will be from 1 Chronicles 6, chapter 16, verses 8 through 13. I'll give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell all of the wondrous works. Get glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offsprings of Israel, his servants, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. I think it's pretty much obvious to everybody, but there are some appropriate and then there are some inappropriate ways to respond to a gift, right? There's some ways that you can respond that just don't go so well, but there are plenty of good ones. You can just say thank you. That's an appropriate and good way to respond. When somebody gives you a gift, you can say something like, that's very kind of you. I appreciate it. That was wonderful. That sort of thing is very nice to say. You can give some sort of specific compliment. Hey, thank you. That's just my style. What a great gift. Thank you for noticing and thinking of me in connection with that. That's very meaningful. And then there are some bad ways to respond to a gift. Right, And some of you are getting ready to hear these in the next couple of months, undoubtedly. You open a gift and you go, oh, I've already got one of these. Well, man, is that disappointing for the person who gave it to you, right? Or somebody opens a gift that you got them and they go, did you get this secondhand? Oh, man, ouch, right? (laughs) Or maybe somebody opens a gift that you give them and you go, man, even Keith Swisher wouldn't give something this tacky. What is this? (laughs) You know it works because we all love you, right? That's, that's why the jokes work. But today what I want to talk to you about is some appropriate responses to God's gifts that go beyond just what we say. That go beyond just the words that we use. And so to get our minds on the right track with that, this is a point where I want us to turn our attention to Luke chapter 7 and to the story of Jesus' interaction with this sinful woman. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus puts himself into this situation between a woman who is a known sinner and a Pharisee. And it's one of those moments uh, that several of us have talked about this kind of thing recently. It's one of those moments where I'd just like to have been a fly on the wall to watch this unfold. And so I just want to read it to you this morning, and then I have a few questions to reflect on it. I'm in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to start reading in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him with the ointment." Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet 
but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. From the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That story ends right there in verse 50, but here's what I want you to think about this morning. What did she do in verse 51? If there was a verse 51 to this chapter, what would it have said about how she responded? I know it doesn't end right. I know it, that it does end right there. I know there's no verse 51. But just kind of try to put your, put your mind into the situation. What would have been her response to the hearing the way that Jesus talked about her and especially to hearing what He said to her? If there was a verse 51 in this chapter, what's the rest of the story that that verse would start to tell? Now, maybe we shouldn't speculate about that sort of thing. So let's just turn the question in a more personal direction. If you were the woman in that story, how would you respond if there was a verse 51? It's interesting to think about, isn't it? She came into this environment that was hostile toward her from the beginning. But she came there because Jesus was there. And so here she is bowing at His feet, worshiping Him, and she hears Him say, she loves me more than anyone else here. And her sins are forgiven her. And then He says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If you were her, what would you do next? I have a couple of suspicions actually. Maybe what you would do next. Maybe you would run out and start telling everybody that you know about this interaction that you had with Jesus. Right? Because she must know other people who have lived a similar kind of life as she has. Which she's going to go to them and she's going to tell them about a whole new kind of spiritual teacher that she's just met. He's not like the Pharisees. He didn't, he didn't kick me out. Matter of fact, it seemed like he wanted me to be there. You guys need to go and meet him too. He cared about me like nobody ever has. You need to meet this person. I can just imagine that if that was us and, and, if we, and if we really understood what had just happened there, we would find ways to insert ourselves into conversations where we overheard people talking about Him. Right? Oh yeah, you know, I met Him once. You guys are talking about Jesus of Nazareth. I met Him once. Let me tell you that story. And just, just poke your head in just to say, He told me that God forgives all of my sins. Would you go and tell others about Him? And then what about the way that you go and live the rest of your life after this day? Would you turn back into practicing the sins that He just forgave? If you were the woman in this story, would verse 51 say the next place you went was back to the places and the people and the practices that had gotten you known as a sinner? Would you walk away from this interaction with no thought of repentance after the grace Jesus has shown to you? No, I doubt it. I doubt it. We would not continue in sin so that Jesus' forgiveness would mean more to us. Far to the contrary. We would change things 
this is what I hope anyway we would respond with, is we would change things. We would develop some new habits and some new relationships and not turn back to the sin that defined us before. And then maybe the most basic question, the most basic specific question in this whole consideration of what would, how would you respond? What would you do after that? Maybe the most basic question is, would you say thank you? The story cuts off before we even learn that about her. Right? But, but what if there was a verse 51? What if that story was yours? What would happen next? Would you say thank you? Surely you would. Especially if you understood the gravity of this, which she seems to have done. I know that we're, I know that we're imagining here, but with the way that this woman has already behaved in this story, it, it's easy to imagine that she's the type that when she's been standing behind him weeping and anointing him and giving herself in worship to him, that when he says, your sins are forgiven, it's easy to imagine this, this woman in the emotional state she's in is going to fall all over herself saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I wonder if we would do the same. Would we at least say some words of gratitude to Jesus for what He had done? All three of those questions, I don't know that you have to answer yes to necessarily all of them as you think about yourself in this, but, but at least something there, right? Wouldn't you do something as an expression of your gratitude if you were in this woman's shoes? And yes, my answer to that, I know that you would. I know that all of us would. If you really got it, Right? If you really took to heart what just happened with Jesus right here, if you fully, fully allowed yourself to see the gravity of the situation and of the words that He just spoke, your sins are forgiven. If you let that sink into your heart, you would absolutely do something out of gratitude for that. And that's the way that we really need to live our lives, brothers and sisters. Jesus calls it love in this story. Yes, in verse 42, the end of that verse, which one of the two forgiven debtors will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He calls it love. It's love and gratitude wrapped up in the same idea. And Jesus' point going on from that part of the conversation is not that some people actually have less or more to be forgiven of. He's not actually talking about that. It may be true, but it's not what He's actually focused on. What He's focused on is the fact that only some people have the humility to grasp the significance of the fact that we have been forgiven by God. Not everybody has the humility to grasp that. Not everybody has the, the selflessness to be able to see the value in something like that. But we're called to see it. And we're called to be truly grateful for the blessings that God has given us in Christ. And that's why I like this story. Because I think framing it in that way and, and just kind of asking, where's the rest of this? Where would it go next? It kind of helps us. It kind of helps us to ask the question of ourselves, how active is my gratitude? How much thankfulness do I actually show to Jesus? 
Because all of us are the woman in that story. That she is the picture of us. When we repent, when we turn toward Him, He forgives. It's as plain and wonderful as that. When we repent of our sins and turn toward Him, He forgives. And so the question of what did she do after that last verse is really a question of are we grateful? It should make us ask the question, are we as grateful to God as we should be? And what are we doing with that? What are we doing in the way we live our lives to thank God for the gift He has given us in Jesus Christ? It's interesting, actually. I decided you know, a little while back we would do this on this particular Sunday and in view of this week's holiday in which you know, our whole country has been encouraged for well over a hundred years now to stop and give thanks to God. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful idea for our society. But I planned this out a while back, and I thought, okay, well, you know, that that's something that active gratitude. That's something we can talk for a long time about. And the more I thought about it, the longer the sermon got. And the more I thought about it, the longer the sermon got. And the more I thought about it, the longer the sermon got. And then we decided we were going to appoint deacons this morning. And I thought, well, that's okay, because I was never going to finish this topic no matter how long the sermon got. <laughs> and so it's, it's one of those things, when you start to ask the question, does my life show that I'm grateful to God? We just don't have enough time to explore the depths of answering that question. And so I know that that means that this is falling woefully short of the answer that that question deserves. But it's still worth us thinking about for a little bit of time here. What are some of the worst things that a person can do with the gift, with a gift, that they've been given. Appropriate and inappropriate responses, right? In terms of the gifts that God has given us in our lives, what are some good ways and some bad ways we can respond to that? Well, first, maybe the worst way that you can respond to a gift is to reject it. That seems, that seems reasonable enough to think, right? But, you know, I don't think many of us would do that outright, particularly in terms of things that you would consider a gift from God not many of us would deliberately reject something like that. So then what's probably the next worst thing that you could do with a gift? You know what I think it is? Waste it. What's the next worst thing that you can do with a gift is to waste it. You know that this happens too. There's plenty of life examples that can show us this. You give a kid a precious heirloom of some kind, they don't understand the value of it, they play carelessly with it, it's broken in five minutes, right? It's, it's a waste, really. You, um, you, you, your wife gives you a shirt that she thinks is going to look great on you, and you never wear it. Was it. You didn't outright reject it, but you wasted the gift, right? Guilty, okay? <sighs> She's not here, so call her and tell her that I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Think about something like this. You know, an employee gets a really nice, a really nice thing as a gift from the boss, and never uses it, never takes it home, carelessly leaves it in the car. You get a friend or a family member that lets you uh, lets you crash at their place. They ask you for a couple of small favors, and you go, "Nah, I ain't gonna do it." <laughs> what has that done? It wastes the gift. 
It wastes a gift. And you look at that and you go, okay, well, it's not that big of a deal. What about some more serious examples? What about when you have a family who's struggling to make ends meet? So somebody in the church generously gives them a big old wad of cash to help them figure all of this out. And then what if the father gambles it away? Now it's serious, isn't it? What about if a person receives a heart transplant, but they won't do what it takes to take care of that new heart, that new gift of life that they've been given? What about a child that's been adopted out of a situation that would have consumed them, but now they're being nurtured and loved in the home of good, godly people, and then that child turns back, turns his or her back on that family, even slandering them in the, in the care they gave for them in their home? What's the worst thing that can happen with a gift? You can reject it, but it's pretty serious to waste it too. And the problem with all of those scenarios, whether the serious or the trivial, is a lack of gratitude. It's not just that a person didn't say thank you as they should have. It's that the choices they made show whether or not they are grateful for what's been given to them. Because gratitude that is authentic will always be active gratitude. And so we really do have to ask ourselves these questions. How can I live in order to show my gratitude to Jesus Christ for what He's done. I'm going to give you three quick principles and I'm going to leave it to you to figure out how to put them to work in your life. And all three of them come from the supposed answers to the question earlier about what did this woman do next? My supposition is she probably went and started, told, started telling other people. And you know what you can do as an expression of your gratitude to Jesus? You can go and tell others about Him. Do that thing where you insert yourself into conversations. You go, yeah, you know what? I know Him. <laughs> I know Him. Let me talk to you about Him. Let me talk to you about Jesus Christ. Number two, number two, the same way that she did not turn back, that I don't imagine anyway that in her right mind she would have turned back to the sins that Christ forgave, neither should you. If you want to live a life that is grateful for what God has done, then be really serious about separating yourself from the sins He has forgiven. And then at the very least, again, what would you do if you were the story and if there was a verse 51? At the very least, I hope the story about you would say that you turned back to Jesus and said, thank you. That at the very least, you find some ways to express in words your gratitude toward Him. And I hope that that helps us to think about the way that we live our lives. I, I think it's fitting for the week of Thanksgiving, for the week of the holiday, for us to consider this. But I hope that we consider it now so that, it takes, so that that seed takes root and grows into something grander in our hearts and in our lives and in our relationships. I hope that it shows that the way that we live our lives shows how grateful we are to God. Now, regarding that last one, in terms of how should I live out my gratitude, I should say thank you. We, brothers and sisters, we have so much for which we should be grateful to God. So much that we can say thanks to God for. And so, I'm going to give us an opportunity to do that, to say thank you to Him and to do that with one voice. Would you join me in standing and sing a hymn of gratitude toward God? We'll sing this hymn.
and then we will remain standing after this. For all that You've done, I will thank You. For all that You're going to do. For all that You've promised and all that You are is all that has carried me through. Jesus, I thank You. And I thank You, thank You, Lord. And I thank You, thank You, Lord. Thank You for loving and setting me free. Thank You for giving Your life just for me. Oh, I thank You. Jesus, I thank You. Gratefully thank You. Thank You. For all that You've done, I will thank You for all that you're going to do, for all that you've promised and all that you are is all that has carried me through. Jesus, I thank you. And I thank you, thank you, Lord. And I thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving and setting me free. Thank you for giving your life just for me. Oh, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you. Gratefully thank you. There are appropriate and inappropriate responses to gifts. My prayer for us is that we live with an appropriate response to our gratitude for God's good gifts. Now, the first step in that is to come to Him for salvation. That's the first step of choosing to serve Him out of gratitude for His gift of grace in Jesus Christ. And so if you want to talk to somebody and find out more about what that means, or if you just know what that means and you're ready to commit to it, I'd like for you to come and talk to me about that while we're singing this hymn to invite you.